0: Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Do you guys know what today is? Sunday. Sunday. There's always one in every group. Today is the beginning of a Jewish holiday called Rosh Hashanah, which is the feast of trumpets. So um so lift your eyes, your redemption draws nigh. If you guys see me sometime today, and I'm walking in circles with my head lifted up, I'm waiting for Jesus. I got maybe some cones on my ears. I won't need cones, though, but I'll be listening for the trumpet call of God and for the chauffeur. You know, the Bible says that that, that Jesus himself will blow the trumpet. And so I'm not naming days or hours because it could be any time between now and the next three days. Yeah, I don't know the day or the hour. I just know that it's um, the Feast of Trumpets, and and as I've I've, uh, shared with you guys before, in, in Israel, the way the feast of the Trump, feast of trumpets is celebrated is um, it's the feast that no man knows the day or the hour. Now, Jews use this idiom, but they didn't like that's what the Bible says in the New Testament. They don't even read the New Testament; they don't even have that luxury, and yet they still call this the feast that no man knows the day or the hour. And the reason is because with with the Jewish holidays, they're based on the moons and the cycles, and so for for them to um, and the reason why they call it the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah is the Feast of Trumpets, is because two different rabbis in two different parts of Israel have to verify that it's the new moon, and so they do it with um, their thumb, um, looking up at the moon, and they I don't know how it works, but they got to cover the moon to some part, and um, when it's verified in two different locations, then it then it is then the shofar is blown. But if you go out, if they go out tonight, and, and Israel's ten hours ahead of us in the morning, or and and they can't. Identify it because if it's too cloudy or for whatever reason, then they have to wait till the next day. So that's why it's the feast that no man knows the day or the hour. And when it's culminated, they'll blow the shofar and they'll blow the trumpet. And so we are um, anticipating the Lord's return and the rapture. Do you guys? Do you guys think like uh, I know I talk about it a lot, but we are studying prophecy right now. I don't think I maybe I do talk about it even if we're not studying prophecy, but <laughs> um, does it sound like outlandish, crazy? that Jesus is coming back. It's not, right? It's, it's, it should be normal place for us. Like the Bible is really pretty simple in, in, in a couple of themes. And, and, and the entire theme of the Old Testament was that God was going to send a Messiah, a Deliverer of Israel. And, and, and he, he was born in a manger, and He died, and He rose again the third day. And the entire New Testament is, is that same Jesus who God brought and promised through the Old, Old, Old Testament is going to come back. I'm coming back. And he tells us how and when and the seasons. And, and like I said, I'm not predicting the day or the hour, but, but listen, let's let's be careful and honest too because the, the, Paul says on, on multiple occasions, you have no need that I write to you because you yourselves already know the times and seasons. And, and, and when the Bible says um, that he will come as a thief in the night, that's not talking about to us. He's not going to come as a thief in the night to us. It says, when sudden destruction comes upon them. Everybody say them. Not us, because we know the times and seasons. Amen? So anyways, this is the beginning of Rosh Hashanah. So um, Josh and I are leaving after church today to fly to the state of Georgia um, near Atlanta, a place called Stone Mountain Calvary Chapel for the Deep South Pastors Conference. Um, uh, Pastor Sandy Adams is a senior pastor there. The, the conference will be live streamed on their app and on their website. So if you uh, write down Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain, I'll try to remember on my social media um, to post a link. But if you want to follow us and follow the conference, you can go to the conference with us for free online. Um, pastor Gerald, uh, who's our sending pastor, my father-in-law, he's the um, teaching Tuesday night. He's got the main session Tuesday night. So um, pray for Pastor Gerald and for his opportunity to teach the pastors at this conference. They kind of rotate that that teaching assignments to the different pastors, and he got asked this time. So um, pray for Pastor Gerald, and then definitely tune in. And again, I'll post the link. I'll try to remember to post the link. Tune in Tuesday night, um, probably around seven Georgia time. It'd be about five here, huh? Um, So you can listen to and check out Pastor Gerald, and uh, I'll probably be sitting in the front row. You'll see the back of me from the cameras. Yeah. Maybe I'll wear like a clown hat or something so you can find me. All right. Um, so, again, I want to ask you guys to keep that in prayer. Keep the pastors, all the pastors, please, in conference for the pastor's conferences for Calvary Chapel. Um, just really quickly, I don't need to explain this, but I feel like I want to. Um, the way that Calvary Chapel, there's, there's I don't know how many now. The number changes all the time. 900 maybe in the United States, Calvary Chapels. Um, but they, they're kind of broke into regions. And so um, like our region here for Utah is actually in um, Castle Rock, Calvary Chapel in Colorado. It includes Utah, Wyoming, Colorado. Um, and I'm not sure if Montana's with us, Wyoming, um, or they go the other way. And then there's kind of regions all over the United States. And so each of the regions has a regional pastors conference for all those leaders. And then uh, once a year we do an international conference where we invite the entire world of Calvary Chapel to attend. Um, the reason why I personally attend um, all the conferences, I went to the one in Atlanta and uh, for the East Coast Pastors Conference now, I'm on my way to Georgia's, because you guys know I moonlight for Cal- Calvary Bible Institute, the Calvary Bible College, and um, I work as a rep for the Bible College at the conferences, and so that's why I go. Um, it's kind of cool, it's a good gig, I get to go to the conferences. You know, we always make fun of those pastors who go to all the conferences, like, oh, don't you got anything else to do, and you just a professional conference goer, and I, I never did that until I started working for CBI, but, and, and CBI pays me really well, too. I mean, <laughs> amazingly well. They, you know, that's the good news. The bad news, i got to wait till I get to heaven to get it, but it's good. It's good. All right, hey, a couple more on the way of announcements. Um, Lydia uh, is not here today. She flew to Phoenix. Uh, my son Luke uh, started his sophomore year at Grand Canyon University this week, and so she, uh, praise God, she flew down to uh, help him get squared away in his, in, his, in his apartment and Get his stuff. Um, but she wanted me to tell you guys, these are on the table as you walk out. This is an invite and the details for the women's retreat. It's October 1st through the 3rd. And this is the actual sign-up sheet. So she would like for you guys to sign up as soon as possible. It's preferable that you make a down payment with the sign-up when you do it. So you can just take a check and fold it up in here like this. After you fill it out and drop it in that box or give it, give it to me or somebody. Or you can make the, um, the payment online. Um, and then note it online, but make sure you mark it on here that I pay that you that you made a payment or you paid it online so that we can um, make sure that goes together. But again, both of these are on the table, ladies, on your way out. And Lydia asked me to make sure to stress that if you guys could, if you're planning on going, signing up sooner than later is better. It will fill up. Um, and so she, she doesn't want to turn anybody away, so her plan is if it goes beyond, she's going to add air mattresses and let everybody come. So uh, the benefit to signing up sooner would be... Uh, you get a bed because after the air mattress has run out, she said she's going to use um, sleeping bags on the on the on the grass. So, all right, so that's that. Grab that, you guys, ladies, on your way out. Not you guys, but you guys. I do have a men's um, retreat invitation for you on September seventeenth, eighteenth, um, and nineteenth. I'm teaching a pastor, uh, not a pastor, a men's retreat uh, for a Calvary Chapel in Ogden. And so the pastor said that I could invite some of my guys if they wanted to go. So it's $130, although he still hasn't given me that way to officially sign up. I've talked to some of you. But if you want to go, we do have beds. We do have – he does have open space. Plan on going, um, and then just see me. And then hopefully by um, next Sunday, I'll have the, the way to sign up and, and get you guys signed up. But um, So we'll leave on Friday, and then it ends on Sunday about 11. I'm going to leave Saturday night. You're welcome to stay all through the whole retreat or leave whenever you want to leave. But I'm going to do Friday night, and then after I teach Saturday, I'm going to get home psyched because I'm going to preach here on Sunday. Amen? Ha, All right. Hey, I've been wanting to um, let you guys know. If, if you need a uh, religious exemption for a forced vaccine situation, that we are providing those. Um, so they are. Um, we're just going to piggyback from our sending church. And so if you need information on a religious exemption card, um, then, then let me know. They're, they're on the Joshua Springs Calvary Chapel website. Also, um, uh, Calvary Chapel Chino Hills, that's Pastor Jack Hibbs. I don't know if you're familiar with Jack Hibbs. It's one of the larger Calvary chapels in the world, probably the largest Calvary chapel in the world um, in Southern California. And they, um, they're, they're, they're front lines with all that stuff because they got 200 people on their staff and um, big stuff. So anyways, on their website, uh, Calvary Chapel Chino Hills, um, they have tons of resources for you if you need something like that. If you have questions um, about that and um, there's other forms where, you know, if you are being forced to vaccinate and you it's against your will, there's forms that you can submit to your employer that um, then would make them liable for your health care. If they're going to force you to get the vaccine, then they're also going to be required to sign off on your health care for the rest of your life. And so... Um, companies are obviously not wanting to do that. I think it was the, when it first started months ago, six months ago or so, when it first started breaking the ice, the airlines were the first ones who, who started forcing their, their pilots to become vaccinated. And one of them died. Um, and so the, they, they quickly backed off of, um, wanting to be liable for, for any kind of medical problems that, that go with it. If they're going to uh, require you to have it, then they also should be liable for you. Right? So those forms are on the website as well. If you have questions with, with any of that stuff, um, just let me know, and uh, I'll help point you in the right direction for some resources and how you can get uh, a religious exemption card that I'll sign um, That uh, if, you, if you want one of those. All right. Can I make all the announcements? I got one more. Josh and Amber, come on up. Actually, just stay down here because I'm going to have the church kind of lay hands. Hey, Josh's first official day is today. So, yeah, so we're pleased to announce and proud to have Josh and Amber joining our staff officially, and so Josh's official first day is today, he's going to leave with me the conference, and then uh, we'll hit the floor running when uh, we get back on Wednesday. Oh, yeah, that was the thing. Sorry, but I got to announce this before I forget. Um, We have decided we're going to take this Wednesday off of church, okay? Josh and I are both going to be gone. That's two pulpits. The worship team um, has some stuff going on. And they're like, it kind of just works out. So we're going to take a break this Wednesday. I hate to take Wednesdays off because um, it, it kills momentum. And then, you know, but anyways, do come back. The following Wednesday, we'll be right back in session. We're just one Wednesday off and we're ready for Daniel chapter 9, second half. One of the greatest chapters in all the Bible. And I'll make sure I reannounce it next week. But the 14th, we're back for Daniel chapter 9. But we are going to take a week off. I kind of figured anyways, the rapture is going to happen because it sees the trumpets this week. So, I just save everybody the trouble and, you know, or I should have said, if you guys show up Wednesday and I'm not here, the rapture happens. Yeah. Hey, Dave, will you come up? Uh, Shannon, you want to come on up? I'm going to have Shannon and Dave lay hands in, on Josh and we're going to pray for him and Amber in their new venture of full-time ministry. All right. Here, Dave, I'm going to grab that mic, you pray for him.
1: Sorry
0: I put you on the spot, but. You're full of the Holy Spirit, right, Dave? Yeah. Okay, you can <laughs> have it. I didn't tell him I was going to do this. All right. All
1: right, Father, we just, we just thank you this morning.
0: That's your good. He'll, he'll be Hang on, God. <laughs> You're good, Dave. He's got to turn you on.
1: Okay. Heavenly right. Father, we just
0: ministry, and Jesus, we just ask that you would fill Josh and you'd fill
1: Amber with your spirits overflowing, God, that everything that they do, every part of the ministry that
0: they touch would just be uh, influenced by you, and, and God, it would have your hand upon it, that where they go, that they would diffuse the fragrance of Jesus, and so Lord, would you just bless bless them, bless this church through their ministry, we just thank you for the, the provision to be able to allow this to take place. And would you just have your hand upon them and all that happens here in this church, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, yesterday. Thanks, Josh. Love you guys. God bless you guys. You. I'm super stoked. All right. Hey, guys, don't make too big of a mess in the bathroom because Josh going to have to clean it. <laughs> just kidding. He will have to do that. I'm just kidding. Um, all right. I think that's it. Yes, yeah, so you guys can pray for Pastor Gerald in the conference. Pray for Josh and I and the rest of the pastors this week. All right, if you have your Bibles, open them up. We're ready for Revelation chapter 5 today. Um, Hopefully, remember just a little bit of where we left off. We saw this scene in heaven. Now, Revelation is not a hard book to understand. Matter of fact, it's the only book in the Bible that comes with its own divine outline. It's found in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. It says, Write the things which you have seen, the past. Write the things which are, the present. And write the things which will take place after this. That after this is a Greek word, metatauda. Look at your neighbor and say, Meta tauda. metatauda. Now you guys speak Greek. <laughs> Revelation, the things that are are is where we are. Chapters 2 and 3. We call that the church age. The church began in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost when Jesus was caught up into heaven, and then the the disciples went to the upper room and God poured out the Holy Spirit on them, began the church age. The church age will last until the rapture of the church. So the book of Revelation is divided into these three easy-to-understand parts. We don't understand everything and every verse and every detail perfectly about the book of Revelation, but we can tackle it. We don't have to be afraid of it if we just use the outline in one nineteen. Because a lot of those things that can become a little bit difficult to understand and translate in Revelation, those things are between chapters 6 and 19. And chapters 6 through 19 detail the what? The Great Tribulation, the Tribulation Period, the time of Jacob's trouble, the Day of the Lord. Um, So that seven years of human history is detailed in 6 through 19. So if you're somewhere in between 6 and 19 and you're reading something that feels hard to understand you can at least understand that that is an event that's taking place within the seven-year tribulation period. At the end of 19, we have the Battle of Armageddon and Jesus coming back specifically on a white horse and the church is with him. And and we have this Battle of Armageddon where Jesus fights against the armies of Antichrist and the devil. And then um, he's victorious and then he sets up a thousand year reign, Revelation chapter twenty, where we rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years in what's called the millennial reign of Christ, Revelation twenty. If you want details, and then in Re- Revelation twenty one and twenty two, this earth that is there now, where we reign for a thousand years, the earth is going to get a makeover for a thousand years, and then it's going to rule, and we're going to rule and reign with Christ. Um, then he says, John says, behold, I saw a new heaven and a new earth come down. And the old heaven that is the one have now and the old earth is going to be destroyed. And then Revelation 21 and 22, new heaven and new earth. And we all live happily ever after. after. Now you guys are scholars on the book of Revelation. Just put it in its context. Well, last week um, in chapter 4, we have the change in the three parts. Because the third thing, the things that are to come, uh, chapter 4 begins like after these things. And so we have the same Greek word, metatauta, after this. And so now here we see, he says, I looked in verse chapter 4, verse 1, standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet. That trumpet is um, in First Thessalonians when it talks about the rapture, the trumpet call of God. And we know that signifies the rapture is when Jesus blows the trumpet. And we have that language here speaking with me saying, Come up here. And so we're going to come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this, again, metatauta. And so here we have the church being brought up and then in the rest of 4 and 5 is this scene where John is brought to heaven and he's witnessing and giving you and I eyewitness of what's taking place in heaven during chapters 4 and 5. Then in chapter 6, the wrath of God is poured out and the seven-year tribulation begins And it begins with the seven seal judgments where Jesus is going to open these seven seals in succession and each one represents a judgment that God is going to pour out upon planet earth. The first four seals are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The first one being the Antichrist. And when the four horsemen of the apocalypse ride and they do what God has called them to do or what they've been released to do, one third of the population of planet earth has been Um, killed in the first four seal judgments of the great of the great tribulation period. And so um, as we move on, um, there was a couple things in four and I'm going to do five today and we're going to even get out on time is my, my plan. Um, We got I don't know why the time went already. I guess we didn't. There's no communion. Okay. Um, Well, we mentioned these four creatures. I want you guys to look at verse 7 of chapter 4. And it says, The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature was had the face of a man. And the fourth living creature was um, like a flying eagle. And earlier we had seen that there was 24 elders. Do you guys remember who in chapter 4 we said the 24 elders represented? A couple different ideas. But... Um, Some think the easy explanation is the 12 um, patriarchs of the Old Testament representing um, the 12 patriarchs and the 12 disciples make this group of 24. One of the reasons why that's kind of a good fit is because we know that God is going to set these these two groups of 12 apart because in Revelation 21 um, on the very foundations of New Jerusalem, God says he's going to write the names of the 12 um, tribes on the 12 foundation on the 12 gates and the names of the twelve disciples on the twelve foundations. So on the foundations and the gates of new heaven and new earth are these twenty-four names. Part of the problem with these guys being um, the twelve disciples is that John is the one who's giving witness of this, and he's not like, hey, there I am, because he would be one of those. His name will be written on one of the foundations. So, But one of the things I think we can be pretty clear about, what's represented here in heaven in this scene, now, if you missed last week, let me speed you up really quickly. John is caught up into heaven. He's caught up in the Spirit. He's standing in the throne room of God. The, John describes what he saw, what God's throne looked like, and what God looked like to the best he could upon the throne in all of his glory. There's, there's 24 elders surrounding his throne wearing cra- crowns, um, the lesser crowns. Then there are four beasts that he describes, that are also around the throne, and they're they're constantly singing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The 24 elders are worshiping the Lord and throwing their crowns down at his feet. So we have this scene where John is in heaven, and this group of 24, without a doubt, whether they're the 12 disciples and the 12 um, apostles, whether they represent um, the priests of the Old Testament and saints of the New Testament, whether without a doubt, they're not angelic, they're, they're elder, they're they're at one point human in their nature. They, they represent the, the church, the, the body of Christ that is in heaven. Now, there's no distinction. We make a distinction between the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints. But once we get to heaven, right, there's no distinction. We're all glorified. I said last week, right, throughout all of human history, people have always got saved the same way, by faith. Somebody said, I asked you guys, how do people get saved? Somebody said, by grace. And I cut them off, and I said by faith. But I wasn't trying to change anybody's theology in here. I was assuming, yes, by grace, through faith, in Jesus is how we get saved. By grace, we get saved by the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. But, but in the Old Testament, people got saved the same way they do in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, they looked forward to the cross, and the New Testament, we look back to the cross. So this group is, is representation of the, those that have gotten saved, and all those that are in heaven, from Adam and Eve to the rapture of the church. Amen? Now, these four beasts are... I didn't get a chance really to talk much about them, but I just want to say there's, there's two other visions in the Bible of heaven. Isaiah has one and Ezekiel has one. I'm going to take time and look at Ezekiel's really quick. You can turn there with, you, with me if you want. Ezekiel chapter 1. Now, again, Paul was caught up into the third heaven. Now, I know some folks say that there are three levels of heaven. Um, this one, that one, and whatever. And they get, I don't know, I don't even know how it comes from because there's only two in Corinthians where that verse comes from, the celestial and terrestrial, we've got to make the third one up. But um, when the Bible says the third heaven, it's talking about where um, God himself resides. When it says the first heaven, that's when we look up, we see the atmosphere, we see what's above us. We can see the sky, that's the first heaven, the heavens. We think of something above we think of heaven. The second heaven is um, in space, in outer space, in the galaxies. And do you guys know that the galaxies and the vastness of our universe is, is beyond comprehension of its size? The second heaven, that area. The third heaven is where God himself and where heaven resides, where this scene is taking place. Where is heaven, by the way? You know, in Daniel, God commissions an angel... And the angel has to get there, and it t- took him 21 days to get there. Maybe heaven's far. No, I don't know. I'm sure they can anywhere they want, but, you know, um, but, but we don't know. It's, it's, I'm sure it's, you know, again, it's just a, you're translated immediately, you're in heaven. It's probably among us. But, but, but Paul is there in the third heaven, and he says, the things that I heard, it would be unlawful for me to try to repeat them. It was so awesome. The Bible says it has not entered the mind or the heart of men, the things that God has prepared for you. Like, like, it, let, let's say we, we became a think tank in here today. Some of you guys got some cool computer skills, and we all of us just put our brains together, and we got in a big think tank in a circle, and we started coming up with the most amazing ideas of what um, paradise could be, and the things that you would want in your paradise, and me. And we created, and we drew a paradise. You think we can come up with something pretty cool? Probably pretty cool, right? The Bible says, "As cool as that is, it'll look like a booger compared to what heaven looks like." <laughs> that that, that you you can't even begin to imagine how amazing the things are that God has created for us. And so we have, um, so Paul is there, and he's like, ah, oh, he's like, I can I, I can't even put it into words. It would be a crime. And so because of that, and and, and we need to take into account and respect Paul, there have been those who have had experiences where they say they went to heaven and came back. And and so many people are so quick to write them off and say, well, the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, he wouldn't even give testimony of what he saw. Who do you think you are to give testimony of what you saw? And it makes sense. I get it. But I I think if we're going to make that argument, we just need to have the complete argument. It's a straw man argument that we build and then shoot down to not take the entire counsel of God's Word. Because if you take the entire counsel of God's Word, Ezekiel had a, was there in heaven and he told us what he saw. Isaiah was there and he told us what he saw. John was there and very thoroughly he told us what he saw multiple times. And so we, we want to take those again into consideration. But this is what Ezekiel saw and this is the, what's very consistent with the throne room of heaven through the Bible and testimonies, and even some human testimonies that I've heard that I that I gave a little bit of ear to, had um, had a similar testimony of these four beasts. But I, I, you guys can read it, Ezekiel one. I got to skip down for time to verse number ten, and it says, "As for the likeness of their faces, each had the face of a man; each had the four, each of the four had the face of a lion on the right side; each had the four, the left had the face of an ox." On the left side, and each of the four had the face of an eagle. So we have a man, a lion, an ox, and an eagle. And that's exactly what John described. Um, except he said, instead of saying calf, he said ox. Um, other than that little thing, and, a, and a, a young ox is a calf. So it's very possible, again, that these are exactly identical. The eagle, the ox, the, the man, and the lion. Well, in, in the four Gospels, they each have a theme that demonstrate one of the characteristics of Jesus. In Matthew's Gospel, um, Jesus is portrayed as a lion and and represents his kingship. In Mark's Gospel, he's represented as an ox, and and Jesus is is a servant. In Luke's Gospel, he's seen that he's as a man and and represented the humanity of Jesus. And in John's Gospel, he's represented, um, represented as an eagle, which represents his what? deity or as God and so Jesus is all of those things he's king he's servant he's man and he's God and all of the four gospels highlight one of the four also in the in the tribe of Israel they have the four tribes on the outside of the cross as they camped, and their flags were a lion and ox a man and an eagle amen just a little detail I had in my notes from last week but I didn't get to give you so let's go to chapter 5 verse 1 um, with this scene in heaven now I want to ask you guys a quick question Are you ready? Ask yourself an honest question. You don't have to answer me. Just just a sincere question between you, yourself, and you. If the if the trumpet of God blew now and the rapture happened, would you be ready? Would you go up in the rapture? And and so if you if you're not positive, you know that this. Listen, some people may think we're crazy. That's fine. They thought Noah was crazy, and then one day it started raining, and 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 God brought the animals and the ark closed, and they didn't think he was crazy anymore. But Jesus is going to come. We are going to see Jesus and have a scene in heaven. And and the things that are happening in our Bibles and in front of us, they're real and they're going to happen. And and if you're here this morning, you know, God has called you here. The Holy Spirit, by His grace, has brought you to hear that you need to be right with God. You need to get your heart and life right with God. If you say, I think so, or I hope so, it's probably not so. It's the wrong answer. Because, again, it's not arrogant for you as a Christian or me as a Christ follower to say that I know so. Because that's what the Bible tells me. We sang a song, I know who, the, who I am. I am who you say I am. And so to speak over our lives, the very thing that God speaks over my life is not arrogance. You know, I, I've had people accuse me of that before. That I tell them I'm going to heaven. Well, oh, how do you know? Is that arrogant. I'm going up in the rapture. No, I'm not being arrogant. I'm being honest. and I'm speaking over my life the very things that God's Word speaks. And John's, In John's epistle, he says, you can know that you know that you know that you know you're saved. And you should know. And the blessing is that only um, relationship with Jesus and Christianity it offers you assurance of salvation. There's no other religion. There's no other system that offers you salvation and assurance of salvation other than biblical Christianity. Amen? Amen. And so he says, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll. Everybody say a scroll. Scroll. Now the theme of chapter 4 was a throne, mentioned um, many, many times. In chapter 5, we have the word scroll repeated nine times, many times in chapter 5. And so it's about this scroll. The scroll was written on the inside and on the back, and it was sealed with seven seals. Now scrolls were not usually written on both sides. A scroll would be written on one side, rolled up interior, and then sealed with these seven wax seals. And it was a way to protect it so that the wrong person could not open it. It wasn't a matter of strength or know-how. Anybody could crack a little piece of wax. But if it had the king's seal on it and it was meant for somebody and somebody else was caught opening it, it's a crime and it was punished. And, and, and somebody had to open it. So, so God has in his hand this scroll that's sealed, and seven is pretty excessive, right? They usually seal it with one wax seal. This one has seven seals. A little spoiler alert, as Jesus opens the seven seals, that corresponds with the first judgment um, um, plagues in Revelation chapter 6. They're called the seal judgments as Jesus begins to break these seven seals. Well, what is in the scroll, and why is it written on the front and on the back? Well, there was one scroll in Israel culturally Um, in Jewish history that would be written on the front and the back because of the details, and it was a property deed. And so this particular scroll, most of the scholars agree, and I think it's pretty obvious, that this scroll is the title deed to planet Earth. What do you mean by that? Well, the Bible says... That Adam and Eve sinned and they they forfeited this world. They were given dominion by God. And when they sinned, they forfeited the world that you and I live in over to Satan. And one day that God is going to redeem through the blood of his son, this world back to himself. You know, don't think it's a shock that Satan is the God, little g of this world. As a matter of fact, many times in the New Testament, three times, Jesus himself calls, calls Satan the ruler of this world. In John chapter 12, verse 31, in John 14:30, in John 16:11, and then Paul, he says that the, speaking of Satan, he's the prince of power of the air. And whenever we would do radio ministry, it was always the hardest spiritual battles and the biggest spiritual battles we've ever faced in ministry were over the radio. And we oftentimes thought it was because of this verse that Satan is the prince of power of the air and he fought over those airwaves and he didn't want to give them and allow them to give them up because he controls them. And then Paul says in another place that he's the God of this world, little g. You know, I think sometimes we don't think of Satan as the God of this world. But this is a broken world. It's a sinful place. You know, God gets blamed for all the things that take place, but, you know, maybe it's not God's fault. It's the God of this world's fault. And this world is broken and sinful. And that's why we need a rapture. And that's why we need a Redeemer. And that's why God is going to set things right. And He's going to um, bring this world back to Himself. And He's going to judge a Christ-rejecting world. And He's going to bring Israel back to Himself. So we have this title deed to earth. That that Satan, the prince of this world, the, the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world as Jesus called him, Who owns it now and God is is gonna redeem it back to himself. And then I saw a strong angel. I love it that he says a strong angel. Not this little fat cherub like you see in your Hallmark cards, like scrawny thing. Do you know one angel in the Lord fought a a battle here on earth? True battle? One angel versus an army. Anybody remember what the army was? The Assyrian army. Even more so. Anybody remember how many of them there were? 185,000. So on this side of the battlefield was one angel. On this side of the battlefield was 185,000 Assyrians in battle array. Who won? How bad did that angel get his butt kicked? In one night, he killed all 185,000. And then he went and got himself a breakfast burrito. 185,000 Assyrians in one night. Them angels are pretty strong. They're pretty bad to the bone. It's really not a fight, right? Same thing like when the Battle of Armageddon. It's really not a battle. Jesus is going to show up and he's going to go, hm, and it's all over.
1: <laughs>
0: so this strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. I love these adjectives. A loud voice. A strong angel. Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose lucid seal. Look at your neighbor and say, Oy vey whoo, whoo, like an owl, whoo, whoo. You know, this is why I don't finish my sermons, because these little stories like this I'm about to tell you. Um, when I was in eighth grade, or no, not eighth grade, sixth grade, um, I was actually in the Gates class. I was like the excelled class. Somehow my fourth grade teacher chose me to go into the Gates class, so they had a block fifth and sixth grade for if you did well academically. And so I got put in the Gates class somehow. I don't know why and uh, my teacher's name was Mrs. Spellman, and so the Gates class put on the school play for, for the school every year. So my fifth grade year, we were doing um, Fiddler Off the Roof. She was Jewish. Miss Spellman was Jewish, um, and so we were doing Fiddler Off the Roof. So um, so I had I had that was applying for this I was trying out for this part, and my line was like Who done it? Like who who? So I come out and I'm practicing. I said who who? And Miss Spellman looks at me and she's like. You sound like an owl. Get off the stage. <laughs> I didn't get the part. So you know what I did? Fifth and sixth grade, backstage hand. <laughs> Actually, sixth grade, I got to be Punjab, but I didn't have any lines. We did Annie the next year, and I stood like this in a little in a turban like Punjab. So that was my job. All right. That's why you guys get get out ten minutes late every day. All right. Um. Who is worthy to open the scroll, the lucid seal? Well, we know the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? So, so all have sinned. We, we've been studying Daniel on Wednesday nights. And again, if you don't come out normally on Wednesday nights, encouraging you guys to come out and be a part of the Wednesday nights. Youth group is growing. Josh and Amber are doing a phenomenal job with the youth group. Make sure you're encouraging your young people to come to youth group on Wednesday nights. Bring them first Wednesday of every month. We're going to do food, and we're, we're going to try to keep it going on Wednesday nights. But Daniel is one of the most amazing characters in all the Bible because there's no mention of sin in his life, no mention, and God that's very rare. Nobody God mentions sin of everybody in the Bible, but but Daniel even Daniel has sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in verse three it says, and no one in heaven or on the earth is un, or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. Not even to look at it. You can't even look at it. So I went. So I wept much. Now this wept much is. Again, this is this exaggeration. The Bible doesn't exaggerate, so it's this exaggeration in the Bible. It's not an exaggeration, but it's convulsively. um, Agony with, with pain. Like Peter went out and he wept bitterly. And so John is crying in heaven. This is possibly the first time that there's been tears in heaven. As John is there... Caught up in the Spirit, but he says he's weeping bitterly because he can't solve the problem. And basically what this means, because nobody's able to loose it, is that Satan will keep running this world forever. And that drives him to weep bitterly, the thought of it. That there's not going to be a healing for this world. And, and, And a title deed in Jewish culture, it was time sensitive. And I'm sure this title deed, The Planet Earth, is time sensitive. And I think the time is going to be up like Tuesday around 7 o'clock. But um, so so John is weeping bitterly. And he says, because no one was found worthy to open and read it, the scroll, or to look at it. But one of the elders, this would be one of the 24, said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its how many seals? Seven, Seven seals. We're going to study those next uh, next week in chapter six, this, the beginning of the se- of the seven seals that Jesus is going to open. Now, another thing I asked you guys last week is, um, um, what is Jesus known as in the Book of Revelation? And some of you guys shouted out, Lion, King, which is true. And then I, mean, I kind of corrected you and said, Lamb. But I did, But you're right; it is a lion. He he's going to come back as a roaring lion, but. The, the, the mention of, of Himself in the book of Revelation from this point on, the preferred term, I think it's like 19 times, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb who was slain. The Lamb who was slain. The Lamb who was slain. And so yes, He is coming back as a lion, but from now on through the book of Revelation, we're going to see Jesus as a Lamb who was slain. And then He says in verse 6, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a Lamb... As though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth, so the lamb is there in the midst of this um host and 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 he has um as though, as though it had been slain. They say the only man man made thing you'll find in heaven are the scars of Jesus, because whenever Jesus is mentioned um, he, for whatever reason, his scars remain, and I know I know wounds heal, and Jesus would have healed. But but he still has his scars. And when when John sees Jesus as the lamb, it's not just as the lamb, it's as the lamb who was slain. So he he must have seen the scars and the marks even in his glorified body. Do You remember when he appeared um, to Thomas and, and doubting Thomas and he said, put your hands here and he still had the scars in his hand and in his side. And so he still bears those scars. In Jeremiah, there's a prophecy that when Israel sees Jesus and understands their Messiah, they're going to ask him a question, and they're going to say, where did you get those wounds? And he's going to say, I got these in the house of my friends. And so here we have this lamb that was slain. It says he has seven horns in the Bible. And again, if you're studying with me on Daniel on Wednesday nights, you know this, but horns in the Bible are a sign of power. And an animal with horns, it's their power. And so we have these seven horns. The number seven in the Bible is the number of what? It's the number of completion or perfection. And so we have Jesus here represented with the seven horns. Perfect power. We know that He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And He has seven eyes. And so that speaks of wisdom and of knowledge. And we know Jesus is all-knowing and and omniscient. And so we have this, this lamb that has seven horns and seven eyes. Again, which speak of the power and of the wisdom and the fullness of God and of the seven manifestations of the Holy Spirit that we've been seeing through the book of Revelation. Now, what you see here in 4 and 5 is in the beginning of 4, you see the Father and then, and then, and then pieces of the Spirit working through the rest of 4 and then the Son and then very clearly the Holy Spirit here in verse 6. And so we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through verses 4 and 5. Oftentimes you'll see that in the Bible. And then in verse um, number seven, it says, then he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And so the lamb comes to the father and he takes the scroll out of the father's hands. Um, And it says, now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. So, so they have their um, the the four living creatures before the lamb. You know, people say, oh, I don't know, I have never had this mentality, I don't get it, but somebody said it, so I know the mentality's out there. But heaven's gonna be boring. You're just gonna sit around and play harps, and like, you have you have zero life, zero imagination, or you're into something too deep here that you don't want to let go. But you know, I, I I don't know, I don't know why I feel like I have to explain that to you, but maybe this is where it comes from. These guys are playing harps. This is actually, the Bible says, um, speaking of these harps, they're they're instruments in heaven. Um, One of them is a ten-stringed harp. So maybe it's more, it's called a harp, but it actually functions more like a guitar, a ten-string guitar. Maybe a flying V, you know? It's cool. It's not just like, V, It's like long hair, flying V, ten-stringer. But they they have this harp, and again, they are. They're they're described in in the Bible as ten-stringed harps. And they have golden bowls full of incense. Now the incense in the Bible, the Old Testament, in the tabernacle there was an altar of incense. And the, and the smoke that would go up from the incense, it represents the prayer of the saints. Say the prayer of the saints. I've been totally burned on incense. You know, it's like Satan always tries to rob God's terms and things that are godly that were never meant to be of the world. But, you know, the culture I grew up in, if, if somebody was burning incense, there was for a reason. And, and so I'm like, so I've never liked incense. I don't like the idea. I never burn them, you know, like I just stay away from them and, you know, because I just stay away from that, that idea and that culture. But technically, we should as Christians burn incense because they're biblical and, and they represent really the meaning that God meant with them was they are the prayers of the saints. And, and as you see the smoke leaving the incense, it's a reminder to to send your prayers to heaven. And what's fascinating here is that your prayers and my prayers, if you're praying them, they're kept in a bowl. God says that he keeps your tears in a jar and your, your prayers in this bowl and they're necessary. The prayers are the same. And they, 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 it's almost like, I hate to use this term, but they need them for these fires, for these, these events. And so they're counting on them. And listen, it's, it's also valuable to know that as I pray, it's not falling on deaf ears, that it's important that God is hearing and God is using them and he's keeping them in his bowl. And here we have them. And these prayers represent, these bowls represent and the incense, the, the prayers of the saints. And it's so, um, 11.30, you guys have to give me a few minutes, we're going to go, okay? 11, give me a few minutes. It says, and they sang a new song, you are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain and, and have redeemed us to God. Some of your newer translations say them, scratch that, that's bad translation, okay? That's one of the places where some of the newer translations really fall down hard is in this verse when they translate that word them. That word is unequivocally us and supposed to be translated us and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Let me ask you a question. What group of people that is in heaven singing this song has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ? The church. The church. So where do we find the church in verse chapter 5? In heaven. And and, and only the church can sing this song. Only the redeemed of God can sing this. So the church is absolutely in heaven right here in chapter 5. Because we went up in a rapture in chapter 4. And and then we are missing in chapter 6 through 19 not one mention of the church. That's all it talks about in the first four chapters is the church, the church, the church, the church. Not one mentioned. The church is gone, so we're here. They're singing a song that only the church can sing. It wouldn't make sense for any other group to sing this. Um, no other group has been redeemed by the blood of God but the church. Out of every tribe and tongue. Every tribe, that's every race, every, every dialect. Listen, Jesus is for all people. And obviously you guys know this, preaching the choir as Christians, we can have no part of any kind of racism. That we God loves all people, and we're to love all people. When I was a kid, one of my one of where I, where I grew up was pretty multicultural. But it was funny because in the group, like our tight group, it was Danny Ratcliffe. He was a black kid. Miguel was from Peru. Mike was from Taiwan. Rudy was from um, Sinaloa, Mexico. Um, me and Larry were white, and I'm forgetting somebody else, but. We'd go to the beach, and we'd have this, like, it was weird. People would look at us like Chinese, you know, everybody was different, Mexican, Peruvian, black. But at Danny's house, who was my neighbor, his grandma had a picture of, of Jesus on the wall, and Jesus was black as the ace of spades in his picture. And, of course, I would never said nothing growing up to Danny, my, my, my friend, but I remember going in his house hundreds of times and thinking, like, Jesus ain't black. <laughs> well, I got news for you. Jesus ain't black. But I got news for you, too.
1: He ain't white. <laughs>
0: He's definitely not American. Okay? Jesus was Jewish, who, who from the Middle East, so go find a Middle Easterner and what they look like and their skin tones and colors, and that's what Jesus would have looked like. Okay? He definitely was not Icelandic with blonde hair and blue eyed Jesus. That that doesn't exist. He was Middle Eastern, he had a beard and matter of, beard, as a matter of fact, the Bible tells us we know he had a beard because they ripped it out of his face. We always picture him with long hair, probably so. Um, but the, the, I think I lost it. The thought. There's a third point on that. Jesus, Middle Eastern. Yeah, so, anyways. He would have been, oh, yeah, yes, I'm sorry. The Bible says about him in Isaiah that there's no form or comeliness about him that we should desire him, meaning that he, he didn't like, wasn't like Roblo or, no, Roblo, uh, Rico Suave. That's what the kind of, he wasn't this most beautiful, handsome, you know, guy. He just looked normal. He looked like everything, and you see him, you wouldn't, him he wouldn't stand out of a crowd for any reason. And verse number 10, it says, And you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, having the living creatures, the elders, the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. That just means innumerable. There was just a sea of humanity in chapter 4 and verse 6, it was described as a sea of glass and as just like an ocean of people. And in verse 12 says, Saying with a loud voice, I love the, uh, the descriptions. loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, such as are in the sea that, and that are in them, I heard saying. So the creatures are even worshiping God. You know, like the creatures in Narnia. Like, doesn't the beaver talk, in Narnia, and the badger, and all the animals talk, the birds talk? Like, I'm sure in heaven that these, because he says that the creatures, even the ones under the sea, are worshiping and joining in the worship. So, that'll answer your questions. Are there animals in heaven? Yes. Is your dog spot in heaven? I'm not answering that. Because I don't know. depends. Did Did he poop on your carpet? Them dogs don't go to heaven. Because God ain't going to allow no poop on his carpet. But there are, there are animals. And again, I think it's going to be cool to think about. Again, we can't imagine how awesome it's going to be. But just, it's going to be heaven, right? So, and, and definitely there's mentioned multiple times in the Bible of animals and creatures in heaven. The Bible says that Jesus is coming back on a white horse. So we know there's horses in heaven. He's going to have a horse there. And, and we're going to come back on horses with them. So there's going to be an equestrian group in heaven. Um, and, then, and then these animals that are described, they're, they're angelic. Really, and so again, it really will be Narnia, like Aslan will talk to you and the beaver will talk to you and help you out. It says, blessings and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne, to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down. Everybody say, and worshiped. Him who lives forever and ever. Um, let, let's not close with the song today, you guys. I'm sorry. I really intended it. And I was going to end on a worship note. But you can close your Bibles, but I'm not done yet. But we're gonna we're we're gonna end with a prayer as opposed to a worship song today. But listen, I want to talk to you a little bit about verse 14 as we close. And it says, and again, you close your Bibles. Just listen for a minute. Give me a few more minutes. I know you're getting tired. And once once I've lost your your uh, hindquarters, and I can lose your mind because your mind can only absorb what your behind can handle. So. It says, the four living creatures said, Amen, and the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. So we have, again, the, the 24 elders is just representation of you and I. It's a host of heaven that are there, and they're falling down, and they're worshipping Jesus. They're worshipping the Father. We see biblically that we will worship for all of eternity as something it will be a part of our function. We will have a new heaven and a new earth, and we'll have access to the earth and heaven, which will be like the city, New Jerusalem, earth. It will be the best of both worlds. You can go to the temple and visit, and God will be, our, be with us and we'll be his people, and he'll be our God. But you know what? As a pastor, one of the things that I always try to do is I always try to encourage worship and encourage you guys in, in taking part in being a people who worship God in spirit and in truth. And oftentimes I demonstrate that. You know, I try to. I remember being in a pastor's conference one time and they, they were, they were threw us for a loop and they're like, who's your wor- worship pastor? And then the teaching was like, no, senior pastors, you're the worship pastor. You set the example of worship in your church and you set the tone. And people are looking to you. And so I've always warned that as a senior pastor that I do want to set the example for worship. And, and, and maybe I try to do that during the music, but, but maybe I would do better If I did it during the teaching, because actually those that engage in worship that I don't have to coerce, that we don't have to have smoke machines and, you know, fancy guitars and lights and and songs are those that understand what Jesus has done for them. And when you appreciate these two scenes that we just seen in heaven, in Revelation 1 of Jesus and His glory, and and the Father, and you put yourself in the throne room of God, and, and you put yourself there when you worship, it doesn't matter how well the song is being played or not. It doesn't matter how well I'm demonstrating worship or not. People who worship are people who understand what God has done for them and want to connect with that, want to be thankful for that. And so again, these two scenes in heaven, I want you to take away from them that, that who God is and put yourself in there and worship. And let's not have to coerce each other into being people who worship. Let's appreciate what God did to us, and that, for us and that will drive us to be people who want to worship. Amen? And the worship team can be having a bad day and we're still, we don't know any different because we're, we're not here because whether they do well or not or pick the songs we like or not, we're here because we want to connect with Jesus. Same is true of my sermons. There's days I have good sermons and days where I'm flat, and you got nothing out of it. But if you came to connect with God, then then whether I'm having a good day or or a bad day, you, you're going to get out of it what you're supposed to get out of it because it's between you and God, and you've come to seek God. And I'm just a part of the body. Just a we all, we're all we're all part of the body. I just have a different function, but we've come to seek the Lord, and and the Bible says to worship Him in spirit. And in truth, spirit is emotional and spirit is soulish and and truth is intellect. So we even worship him with our intellect. And what does our intellect tell us? That he died for us, that he's coming back, that he loves us. And and it also helps us in our minds. I see that throne and that picture of Jesus described here in Revelation. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you so much for your patience. Father God, we, we thank You for Jesus. Lord, we, we saw the prayers that were in this bowl, Lord Jesus, that was in heaven present. It was the prayer of the saints. That means that, that within this bowl are prayers that we've all um, sent up, God, as as the smoke of the incense rises. So, Lord, I pray that that would encourage us to be a people who pray. That we would read our Bible and pray every day. That, that our prayers would be big prayers that would make a difference, that we would seek your face and we would pray big, that people's lives would change, that people would get saved, that this lost and dying world would come to know Jesus and that you would use us to be a part of that. Father, we thank you for this scene in heaven is also a, a, just a big worship ministry and it's, it's always through, through chapter 4 and 5. As John is there in heaven, what's constantly and consistent is worship. And so, Father, we pray that you, you would help us to be worshipers who come and worship you in spirit and in truth, that you'd encourage us in that. And Psalm 150 says that we should use every kind of instrument, nine different types of instrument and dance and loud symbols when we worship you. In Psalm 141, it says that we should raise our hands when we worship you. And so, Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said...